let your voice be heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Brianna is the god. Katy Perry, not so much. You know why? Because Taylor Swift destroyed her until she puts out a new album. Katy Perry, not um, Taylor Swift. So, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and, of course, Jackie Motherloving Cohen. And we have our intern, Monty, sitting in the corner, going through his phone, probably updating his Tinder account because that's what you can do when you're 20 years old. Probably getting mean snaps from Selena saying, Snapchat this. Yeah, right? Instagram. (laughs) That's exactly exactly what he's getting. <laughs> he's like, stupid losers. I hate them. I want to go home. Listen don't to Don't listen to thug. Selena. Don't let her bully you, Monty. Yeah. You do you. She's five foot maybe, Monty. She can't scare you. So, guys. <laughs> I mean, she's pretty scary. Yeah, she is. And pretty intense. Yeah. So, guys, speaking of people who are pretty scary and pretty intense, we want to talk about the police. And when I say the police, I don't just mean the police. I actually mean the institution of America that has perpetuated so much racism and the organizations and the people fighting against them. One of those organizations and those group of people had been the Black Lives Matter movement. And since the inception of the Black Lives Matter movement, what we have seen is a whole bunch of people decide to message with Black Lives Matter was, even though they didn't know anything about it and they didn't know the people there. So when Trayvon Martin was murdered and then George Zimmerman somehow walked away from his death because a 16-year-old kid who weighed probably about 16 pounds soaking wet was more of a threat to a grown 28-year-old um, Spanish white um, piece of garbage. I don't know what he was at, at this point. He was more of a threat to that person than that guy who had a gun and who had followed the kid. And on Twitter, someone was talking about the frustration about it, and they said Black Lives Matter. And this concept, the hashtag Black Lives Matter and the phrase Black Lives Matter, was brought together by three women of color, three trans queer women of color, who wanted to have something that we can kind of show that our lives were important. And that even though the state and the country and white America, the institution, not necessarily your white friend Shatisha on the corner. Your white friend's name is Shatisha? Why not? I like that. I like that too. Maybe in Louisiana we'll see some white Shatishas. <laughs> no, 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 no. She just she says it's Shatisha because her name's really Rachel Dozal. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did. Sorry, there. I had to get that one in there. No problem. But because they have not shown much value for the black life, what we have had to do is find a way to show that our lives matter. And we came up with that with that phrase and that hashtag Black Lives Matter. But of course, white people, whenever something is being discussed and it does not mention them at all, they go crazy because how can you not mention white people? They are everything except for they're not so people have said that black lives matter wants to kill police officers and black lives matter only wants to go out wants to protect criminals and black lives matter wants officers to die and wants to kill the government when that's not what it means and finally after about three years of just listening to this garbage the movement for black lives said you know what this is not what's happening we understand that along with our rhetoric and along with demanding that you say our lives matter we also have to back our words and our actions with policy and the only way you can get policy and movement around policy is through power. So they released this platform that has been in the works for the last 12 months. And some of these organizations who have been in the works with them has been a million hoodies. You know, we had Dante Berry here as a dreamer a couple of months ago. The Black Youth Project 100. We've also had um, Color of Change involved in this process and, and a bevy of other organizations who came together. They met with experts. They talked about policy. They did studies and they put together a bunch of different policy platforms and goals and suggestions that they thought would get us closer to being free. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that it's going to end racism because that's just not something you can do in one swoop, Joe Stein. But it puts you in a great situation to actually move forward and have tangible work that people, tangible things that people can work towards. So now, 
Some of the things that they had in this policy included the end of the war on black people, reparations, invest in black communities, divest in prisons and police and put that into education. They wanted to put invest into communities and divest into fo- divest in fossil fuels. They wanted campaign finance reform. They wanted funding and programs that encourage people of color to run for office. They also wanted the elimination of deportations of all people of color, including our Latin brothers and sisters who have been getting deported even though there really is no reason to do this because they haven't been causing a problem. They want a universal citizenship for all black people. That includes people of people from all the African diaspora. So whether you're black like me with this complexion or you're black and you're from Dominican Republic like our dreamer from last week, we want universal citizenship for all of us as well as universal college admission for all of us for all public colleges and community colleges. It is a very ambitious platform. It is asking for a lot. And some of you guys might be listening and thinking to yourself, this is not going to happen. Or some of you might be listening to this and going, wow, this is pretty cool. How can I get involved? And within that platform, they have spaces for people to get involved, spaces for people to endorse activities already happening and activities that you can start on your own. So today we're going to have a conversation about this big platform and where it stands with us and where it stands hopefully with you. So if you want to call in, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that's 212-650-6903. And I want to start with Alyssa because we're talking about policy. We're talking about laws. Just from the... Yeah, I... Go on. Just on a thousand foot level, what do you think about this? I mean, I think it's ambitious, and it's always good to be ambitious and to put out a you know a, a list, a long list of things that you want to see accomplished, um, because at, you know it's like that age old saying: if you want to, you know, what's it's like if you shoot for the stars and you miss, at least you land. Ugh, God, I'm butchering it. Um, <laughs> but it's it, okay oh, to be ambitious. Shoot for the moon, and it, shoot for the moon, and if you miss, at least you'll land in the stars, right? Which is, so, which is sort of inaccurate. Yeah. Which is, the other way it around, is but, inaccurate, okay. right? But Nerds. at least for the the purposes of the phrase. On the other hand, my biggest issue is the fact that a lot of these things that they're, some of the things that they're calling for can be obtained and achieved through grassroots um, community activism. Other things that they're asking for can only be obtained through legislation, through Congress, through the states, um, like comprehensive immigration reform. Like uh, yeah. two of those planks that you just mentioned re- were with respect to universal citizenship and the end of deportations. Like those things are only going to happen through Congress. And right now, um, you know, when we look at Congress, the Congress is dominated by Republicans, and a lot of that has to do with gerrymandering, which is something we've talked about at length on other shows I'm not going to get into right now. And so you have this situation where you're not going to be you able to get those things done, the things that have to be done through legislation, until you fix some of the other issues in politics. And so I guess some of my problem is, and not everybody in the movement, but I have encountered a lot of people in the movement that don't want to be involved in mainstream politics. They don't want to work within the system. And so you can't make lofty demands that have to be done within legislation if you're not willing to work in the system. So, so that's my mixed feelings just I'm gonna, from the outside. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I think that these platforms don't have to be mutually exclusive, right? And so if we're calling for investment in communities and investment into um or development of strong black candidates to run for office, that's where we get that start, right? So it's some of these things are loftier goals and may take a lot more time and really have to start at the at the grassroots, right? Have to start with finding these candidates and investing in them. But as we know, if we have a more diverse Congress, if we have more people of color in Congress, more women of color in Congress, the laws that reflect the needs of certain populations will reflect um, the representation in Congress. So I don't think, you know, I think that these are very ambitious, lofty goals, as they should be, because we have a lot of work 
ahead of us as a nation. But I think that um, making these investments, they all have to work. All these platform points have to work together. Right? right. They can't be mutually exclusive. Yeah. No. I actually I, I agree with that. I don't disagree. What my I actually think you just proved my point, which is that you know you're saying part of these policy goals includes getting people elected, right? Getting people of color elected, and that's my point, which is they're working within the system, not outside of well, it. If they're running for office, like that's joining the system in order to be able to change it, right? right? But to push back again, I think a, a little bit of what you said was anecdotal, right? That people that you know and you and I, all three of us, have been very involved in this movement. Um, and what you mentioned was that a lot of the people that you've spoken to are not particularly interested in becoming part of the establishment, right? right. And I and I agree. I think that's true for me too. But I don't think, speaking anecdotally, um, that is necessarily true for the entire movement. And I think that once we start investing in more qualified, diverse candidates, we'll see a reflection of that in Congress. I think that's a fair point. So I just want to throw some context in here. It's a bit confusing for me still, actually. But um, so... The Black Lives Matter movement has rejected the political process and said that they want to overthrow the system. Right. This is the that's movement. Close to my point. So yeah, this fair. is the movement for Black Lives, which is like so you're gonna have Black Lives Matter affiliation in there, but it's not necessarily the same thing. So the people who are doing this are open and willing and ready to engage in the political process if need be, and they're creating this space so that people who want to do that can do these things and they're ready to support it so like a million hoodies black youth project um color of change they've already been super engaged in these things already and they will continue to do so so um it's kind of you guys i'm going to split the difference here yeah Alyssa, you're partially right jackie you're partially right what i think this does though for people like us who are in the movement who are who are fighting for justice one way or another it gives us a rubric to know these are some things that like if we really want to be helpful we can be pushing for now reparations, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. As we know, we got an award we for know. that. Any person who can like honestly say that the system has completely screwed over black people, completely screwed them over, reparations is the only logical conclusion to amending that mistake because there's been like you've been undermining the black community for years outside of slavery, redlining, not selling houses to veterans, not selling property to black people, taking money from their banks, reparations is the only way that you can you can honestly like amend for that mistake because sorry isn't going to cut it. Right. However, we know that won't necessarily we won't necessarily get that. But say there's a group like, I don't know, Tic Tac Toe 4000 that's pushing for free college tuition for every person of color in New York state, right? And this is working on that state issue. That's one of the components of their policy platform's reparation. They want free college tuition. So, like, they're putting different levers, and they're saying that they'll support you. So maybe if Tic-Tac-Toe is doing that and they reach out to the Movement for Black Lives, they can get some of those organizations that co-signed this policy plan to come there and help them and mobilize. Is that making sense? Uh, I mean, you got me a little confused, to be honest, with your example. But what I will say is that, like, you know, the free college tuition, that should be a goal for everybody. Not, you know, it should be a goal for any any person not you know like it doesn't need to be i understand that the, that that's part and parcel of the reparations idea i get yeah. that and actually the thing is as much as i agree with you on the issue um the substantive issue of reparations i think out of all of the goals in that policy platform that's the least likely one to happen right because that's the one that requires the most political capital and is the least likely to get political support but you know, what I do like about this is that the platform doesn't solely focus on issues of policing. Yeah. Now, it, it includes issues of policing, which are important, but as I'm sorry, important. But as I've said many times on the show throughout many different segments, some of the issues that are related to policing aren't just about policing. They're about poverty. They're about homelessness. They're yeah. about substance abuse and mental illness and a lot of other things that plague communities and have 
uh, disparate impact on communities of color because of the issue of class. Can I jump in for one second, Alyssa? I just want to add a piece of what you're saying. So an example of what Alyssa is saying is, in Chicago, they've shut down over 40 schools. At the same time, they've invested over $100 million into the police department. Right, exactly. So, you know, that's what's good about this, which is it says, yes, we look, we're look. we looking for police reform, which is a, a plank of the Black Lives Matter movement and has been for a while. And not just the Black Lives Matter movement, but lots of other groups. I'm involved with the Police Reform Organizing Project, which is part of the Coalition to End Broken Windows. We can talk about that a little more when we talk about Bratton during the news roundup. But, you know, they're focusing on the core issues that affect issues of policing, right? Like we've brought up, for example, homelessness. What's the largest homeless facility in New York City? It's Rikers Island. Why? Because when they don't have anywhere for homeless people to go and there's no room in the shelters, they get arrested for something. The police find a reason to put them in jail and that's where they're being housed, right? When you look at a situation like Utah, and we've mentioned this in past shows where they just gave people housing, they solved the issue of homelessness, and what they found was within six months of providing housing, most people were able to get a job and then move on to their own housing. So when we're talking about dealing with some of these policy issues, what we really need to be focusing on is things like dealing with poverty and homelessness, and not just because if we deal with those issues, then we will have less punitive police interactions. At the same time, we cannot forget that we also need to deal with the issue of you know policing as well, because even if you fix all of the core issues, you're still going to have this issue of disproportionate application of certain types of policing in certain neighborhoods that is not applied in other neighborhoods like we see here in New York City. So I'm going to go to Jackie, then I'm going to respond to that. Jackie? Yeah, so I think it proves the point that we are not individually free until we are all free, right? When we focus on black lives and we work to make black lives a priority for all Americans, we all benefit, right? Because we repair things like bad policing and poverty and education and homelessness, right? We all benefit from all, you know, from making sure each Rising one of us Rising tide is lifts all yes, boats. Yes, exactly. But I think that's such an important point is that these are things that, like I said before, are not mutually uh, exclusive from each other. So when we work to improve um, the rights of black people and we work to make education more equitable and housing more fair. Um, you know, this is something that better society as a whole. Yeah, that's a good point. And Alyssa, just to jump on a piece for you for the um, police. They, they talked about a way to address the police, which the which is the community control of the police department. But what does that mean? So, Nobody defines what that ever means. So they, they say they it all the time. They actually do. Okay. So when you're talking about local precincts, the precincts actually have to report to the community boards in that neighborhood. And also the community boards and the black associations control the budget for those police departments. And they can they help with the hiring and firing process of those police departments. So that's what they're talking about when they mention community control of the police, which in theory is not a bad idea, I don't think. But, but Which may work in a small town or community, but something like that like is never going to work in a city, in a big so, city like New York with 36,000 officers. So I'm going to push back it's a, on that. The way the Why wouldn't police, that work? Because it, you have to understand how the police department in New York City is structured. And if you look, understand the way the, the police department in New York City is structured, it's structured fully from the top down. So you could never, at least, unless you change the entire way that the NY, I'm not saying you couldn't. I'm saying the only way to do that in a city like New York to say, well, if you live in the 25th precinct, then you have control over the 25th precinct. Like you would have to 
get rid of the way the entire structure of the way the NYPD is structured now and you'd have to restructure it completely like the NYPD's budget it's not like each precinct get like they have a budget but that comes from the top down there's a full NYPD budget and then money gets distributed to different precincts so it's not like each individual precinct has their own budget like you would if you were in a small town that so had one police station I think you're being hamstrung by thinking about like the NYPD which if we're thinking about the NYPD it's going to take a bigger lip to get to where they're talking oh, about absolutely. there but like the NYPD, obviously, that's the big fish, the great white whale. But right. you can start with local communities and get that going and create a framework. And then, once you have that framework and it's successful, you can start pushing for the bigger precincts. So the Chicago PDs and the NYPDs and the LAPDs. But the idea of it actually being possible is very real. But So when you create this framework and you create this idea of how, like, of how it can actually be successful, all you have to do is get a couple of case studies to get it going. To, to see if it's, it can actually be a thing that benefits the community. And then from there, you build it out. Jackie, you look like you want to say something. I'm just, I, I guess I'm having trouble. I think it sounds really good. I'm having trouble envisioning it. And I worry a little bit about the tyranny of the majority yeah. in communities that, you know, oftentimes we see communities with, that are heavily you know, white communities where there are black people in these communities that, and I don't want to see them um, treated unfairly based on the tyranny of the majority. Right. right. It's one of those situations where something seems like it's a great idea in theory, but in practice it could, and it, it could be a good idea, but it may also have some negative drawbacks and I'm, unintended I'm pleading, consequences. Right. I'm pleading pure ignorance. Like I don't, I cannot envision how this would work and maybe it totally can and but, I'm just not seeing but it. But I agree with you that, and, and that, that was essentially my point, which is if you want to do something like that, you have to smart in, start in small towns and small cities and places where it's much more feasible to get something like that implemented. You have to then study those things. As you pointed out, you have to see how they work. You have to adjust them. And once you implement them in small towns and cities, once you get them working properly, once you do a study, see what works and what doesn't, make adjustments, then and only then can you try and implement that into a larger scale in a big city like Chicago. But you got to beta test it. That's what they're. That's more or less what they're saying. They're like, there's no. Well, and maybe I could be wrong because obviously I wasn't in those conversations, so I wasn't the phone conference on Wednesday. But no one is saying that we're going to implement all this stuff right away. It's we know the process is long. We know the process is arduous. Here's how we're thinking. Make that work for you wherever you are. So guys, we do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the universal health care because in like in juxtaposing the Obamacare and what that means, and also I want to start talking about like what is some of the things that are already happening in our community and how people can get involved. So we'll be right back after this quick break. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. This is the remix for the city. Let's just start snapping. Crack hit bleak on the jack like, let's make it happen. Oh, it's me. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. It's me. And we are back. Um, you know, I unfollowed DJ Khaled from Snapchat. You did? I'm the only I just, it's too much. It's every second of every... A hater. That's what you are, Jack. Every second of every day. I, like, stopped. I stopped. You know, um... Maybe I'll restart. You know, speaking of which, uh, you know, have you been watching... And this will tie into the conversation. Have you been watching um, on Vice? Uh, it's called um, Black Market with Michael K. Williams. None of us are watching Vice, Alyssa, because we don't have that channel 
I love Michael K. Williams. So Michael K. Williams well, is on the night Just of. to give you an idea, I mean, Michael K. Williams goes into impoverished communities and in, th- in, in, in particularly communities of color, and he goes and meets with people that are involved in illegal activities. Most of the time, they're, you know, covering their face and they alter their voice, of course. Um, but he talks to them about, like, why they're involved with certain things, you know? Like, f- they did one episode I was just watching on how illegal guns come up I-95, the Iron Pipeline, mm-hmm. and into um communities in the Bronx and they were meeting with guys in the Bronx and they were saying you know like well I I'm a fel-, you know he one of the guys said like I have a felony I can't get a gun but I still have to protect my family it's dangerous out here and people are poor and people are robbing people because they're poor and so that ties back into our community our conversation here about dealing with some of these issues and why the mo- movement for black lives have put out these policy platforms yeah. because when we look at issues of um law and order and of crime, a lot of times what we say is that people commit crimes not because necessarily they're bad or violent people, but because they have no other opportunity or have no other way to obtain uh, funds or things that they need to live and to to work and to do those things. And so that ties very much into this conversation. Just thought I'd bring it up. If you haven't been watching, you should check out the show. It's really good. Oh, now I'm going to get advice. Thanks, Alyssa. <laughs> so just bringing us back, I want to talk about a book that I've been reading, Martin Luther King, Where Do We Go From Now? Community of Chaos. And in the book, he's talking about when he lived in Chicago for a couple of months and he would see these kids outside playing and they'd be in these ill-fitting clothes, but they had these bright eyes and they were so excited because someone just cared to know what they were going through. And he said he could see, if you look close you can see the mucus still in their eyes and you can hear that cough that they had because things like flu shots and doctor's appointments weren't for people like us people of color black kids and that's one of the biggest issues that plague black communities any black well actually most kids but especially black kids can tell you that when they got hurt how many times their parents said put some cocoa butter on it walk it off and if you had to go to the doctor or you had to go to the hospital, they were very upset. The reason being is because of lack of access to health insurance. And the Affordable Care Act has helped to reduce the amount of people who don't have access to health insurance. But there are a lot of people, particularly from some friends of mine who still live in Brownsville, Brooklyn, and East New York, who they can't afford to make those payments, even with the assistance to health insurance, so they don't get it. And then they get fined at the end of the year. Mm. And they can't afford it. So You're talking about people that make too much money to be eligible for Medicaid? Nope, not even. People who are eligible for Medicaid, but they still have to make some kind of payment. It's a weird it's a weird paradox. It's, I'd have to have a friend call in so explain, but it's but there are people there who like they, they have enough to get some kind of like assistance but not enough to cover it. So they have to make payments and they can't. So they just don't get insurance and then they get fined. So Obamacare is missing some people. There are some people being missed from Obamacare still, Jackie. And there's not a lot of um, transparency into Medicaid, into the system as yeah. a whole, right? So oftentimes you're going to a doctor that maybe isn't providing the services that you need, and yeah. you don't have a lot of, you know, when you don't have a lot of resources, oftentimes you're treated as though, okay, you take what you can get and, you know, don't ask for more. And when it comes to your health, I mean, having good health should be a basic human right. And so when you go to a doctor, you should be able to ask for certain services that if you had proper health insurance that, you know, covered everything, you would be able to request. And also just access to like a healthcare center. We know in Chicago, they don't have a trauma center in one of the poorest neighborhoods where the most violence happens. Right. So to address some of these issues, the Black Lives Matter movement or the Movement for Black Lives has a list of policy suggestions, which include provide access to comprehensive health centers in neighborhoods, provide full access to preventative and curative care for the diverse communities of color throughout the U.S. of all ages, provide black cis and trans women full agency to say what level and type of care their bodies need 
provide loving. And this is more like, I guess, philosophical. But here's the thing. I, no, I just want to cut in here. A lot of these things that, that you just listed off, there are things that can only be made at the state level, like yeah. for the most part. Like you're not going to have national policy. And so this requires people getting together locally within states to effectuate these types of changes because of the way that our government is structured and the way that certain policies are made by states. I mean, just to give you another example, and then I want to come back to the health insurance thing. When people have called for reduction in prison population, actually the president on the national level has uh, commuted more sentences and, you know, helped to get more people out of jail for nonviolent drug offenses than any, any other president. However, we still have a large number of black and brown people in prison. And the and the question is, and the president can't do zero zilch, not a nothing about it. And the reason is because they're in state prison and those issues need to be on the state level. And I bring that up as an analogy to this. A lot of these things with regard to health care um, are things that you need to be working on on the state level, like pushing Congress to, I, I mean, uh, two things about that. One, I think you can push Congress for a public option, and I think that's what's going to come next. I don't think you're, you're going to go from Obamacare to universal health care, but I do think if Hillary Clinton is elected, you are going to see a push to try and get a public option on the table. However, Going back to the state thing, and this is really important, lots of people, lots of black and brown people living in communities that live in states that have Republican governors that have not expanded Medicaid. Aside, your friend who lives here in Brownsville aside, which, you know, I don't know what's going on with that, and I'd love to sit down and look at it because something seems funky about that to me from a legal perspective, but that putting that aside... Um, you know, a lot of people who live in states that have not done the Medicaid expansion because they have a Republican governor, they don't have Medicaid or they can't get Medicaid and they therefore don't have health insurance. And it's directly related to their Republican governor. It's not related to the president. It's not related to the people running for president. It's not related to their mayor. It's not related to their city council people or to the police in their communities. It's related to the governor and the state legislatures that refuse to expand Medicaid. And I, so that should be a part of this plank. I think what you dismissed there, Alyssa, and I, and I mentioned it earlier, earlier, was that they want people to take what the pieces they have in here and apply it the way they see fit. So what you're talking about is something you could be doing within it, with, using this platform. So someone could say, you know, one of the ways we can address this is by like rallying or pushing to have Medicare expanded in places like Alabama or Georgia or Mississippi. Right. And well, so, I guess my point is that like these, this group right, needs to have state satellite if they want these this platform to be successful my feeling is they really need to have and i'm sure they do so uh, you know i'm not saying they don't to have strong state and local chapters that then also organize under a national umbrella um you see this in a lot of other organizations like for example girl scouts right um they have state and local girl scout chapters and all of them organize under the National Girl Scout umbrella. And so there's policy changes that are done uh, within Girl Scouts or Girl Scouts do things at the state and local level, but then they all report back to an international level. We see this also with the organization like the one, the community service organization, I'm in Kiwanis. There's yeah. state and local. And yet when I was in um, Toronto a few weeks back, I was at the international meeting for all of those groups. So that's the kind of structure you have to have within this movement if you want to be able to get those policy proposals enacted in the way that you're laying out that it seems like they want to get them done. So, so guys, if you want to call in, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio or Politically Preposterous is active. Alyssa is reading messages when she can. Jackie? So I agree with Alyssa, and I think that those types of satellite groups would be incredibly helpful, but I do disagree with the with 
the idea that this is the only way we're going to get policy change done. I think what's so great about producing this platform, producing it on the internet for everybody to see, is that it almost serves as a guidebook, right? So we have this list of policy platforms, some way broader than others, but you know, a comprehensive guide to what needs to happen in the fight for the liberation of black lives, right? And so what can be done is that, yes, we can have satellite organizations for the movement from black, of black lives um, working on these issues state to state, but all, we can also expect that other grassroots organizations, that political figures, that individuals can use this platform as a guide to say, okay, I care about these this issue. I want to make decisions to benefit people of color in this country. What should I be working towards? And they can use this platform and start to get involved in campaigns affecting these different issues on their own. Well, I think not just use the platform in that way, but use the platform. I agree with that. I mean, but use the platform in that you can say, okay, this is the goal of the platform. I have an organization of five of my friends, and we really care about achieving this goal. How can I organize to figure out how to achieve this goal. And once I do organize with my group of people and we come up with a roadmap and we come up in, with a plan and we put that plan into action and we move towards achieving that this goal, how do we teach other people to replicate what we are doing in their communities? That is the second step in that, which is not only do I have this platform and I know what the goal is and I'm going to create the roadmap, but I also need to be able to have other people replicate that roadmap. One of the pieces you guys, I think we're, we're, we're not talking about here is funding a lot of the reasons these big organizations can do this kind of work and create these big umbrella things is because they have funding and as someone who works for a nonprofit, i can tell you funding is not the most the easiest thing to get and then a lot of these funders these big funders as soon as you do something that slightly ruffles their feathers or they think it's off base they will they will take funding or they will not give you again and while we should be getting funded by people power it's hard because the people you're fighting for are usually the people who are funding you and they don't have a lot of money right jackie so i think to even clarify my point a little more um what's so great about the diversity of this platform and that it calls for so many different things to be resolved is that there are already in existence a million different groups working on all of these issues ind yes. independently, right? And so you don't have to, as an organizer or as an activist, take on and what you should support all of these things, right? But you don't have to specifically work on every single one of these platform points, right? You can take on campaign finance reform or universal education or universal health care and make that your primary focus in this, in this battle, right? And so I think that's what's so great about the broadness of this platform is that it's not expecting that every single person work their hardest on every single platform point, but that if you are already in line with an organization working on these issues, you can link this to the liberation of black lives um, and make that fight even stronger. Thank you so much for that, Jackie, because I wanted to mention that was one of the biggest pieces in here. Like you, I think you hit the nail on the head. They're not expecting like just everyone to push these things, but they know there are organizations who are doing this work already. Um, I want to use these last couple of minutes to talk about some of those organizations. Um, shameless plug, I want to shout out my organization, Citizen Action of New York, where we're working on campaign finance reform. So we're trying to make sure you get rid of things like the LLC loophole, which lets businesses in New York just pretty much create LLCs or super rich people create LLCs to donate unlimited funds to candidates. And we know who, who does that, the real estate um, industry. And it's been helping them a lot because we see how the cost of rent has been skyrocketing in New York State. Um, as well as we have We Act for Environmental Justice, who is working on environmental justice issues. And one of the things they were talking about in this policy platform was addressing environmental racism. So even if the policy in that space for that part of the platform is vague, you have organizations like We Act who actually have real work you can do behind there. 
Jackie? Yeah, and so organizations, that shameless plug that I work for, the New York Public Interest Research Group, um, worked. I myself worked on a bill to make lead water testing mandatory in New York State. We're the only state now, uh, when the governor signs the bill, that will require that all school, public schools, K through 12, across the state, test their water for lead. Because surprise, guess what? Communities are more disproportionately affected by lead poisoning in their paint, in their water, than others are. Uh, poorer, Black. more, you know, Black urban Rock communities, like Newburgh, right. or Music Rochester, Falls. or right, exactly. So it's a huge issue. Alyssa? Yeah, no, and uh, so I guess since we're all doing a shameless plug, <laughs> um, you know, and then you have what my organization does, and my organization meaning my law firm uh, and me personally, which is to keep the pressure on the police through the current system that is set up in order to bring civil rights lawsuits against police officers that violate people's rights because there has to be a check on the police, and the one way in which there's a check on the police that is sometimes a lot more successful than a prosecution of a police officer, which we all know uh, not always ends in a very successful manner, um, is to bring lawsuits. So, you know, that's my shameless plug. But the last thing that I wanted to get to, because I know we're going to close out this segment, is is the this last question is, is there enough political capital to get these things done? And I think that's really an important question because that has to do with the idea of, like, is anybody going to listen to people and how do we get people to listen? And so, as you and I have both discussed and many times in the past, there have been some tactics that some of these groups have taken that both you and I disagree with because we feel that they set the group back, they don't help the group. Um, I remember one of those things, and correct me if I'm wrong, was you were very upset when they like took over Bernie Sanders's pep rally one time. Oh, the one in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I, because it, and, and so my point is, is if you want to be successful and I'm always, I don't say not to do civil disobedience. I'm, I'm always in favor of certain types of civil disobedience, but you also have to pick and choose your battles when it comes to civil disobedience, because if you want to develop political capital and you want to be taken seriously, then you can protest and you can do political stunts that, that get you attention, but you have to draw a line somewhere and say, where am I crossing over this line? where I'm not gaining any more political capital and, in fact, may I be losing some. And so that would be my final closing note, which is I think these platforms are great. I would love to see some of these things implemented. I would love to see people, um, you know, pick and choose different issues, as Jackie points out, that they want to get involved in um, and decentralize in that manner and create different groups and also create a blueprint for how other people can replicate their actions if they are successful, like we've done with Swipe It Forward. But at the same time, I think also we also need to be very careful about figuring out where that line is, where we engage in an action that takes away political capital, because if we want to get things done, we need all the political capital we can get. So I'm going to tie this all into my closing because I kind of sort of want to respond to you, Alyssa. So I think you're 100% right. There have definitely been some actions by some of the, um, the people in the movement that I have not agreed with. I didn't understand the Hillary Clinton action where they, they got a chance to speak with her. And then she said, what policies do you want? And they said, it's not our job to tell you what policies we want. It's your job to fix it. Right, I exactly. That's a perfect example. Like, at, at, that, at that point, I'm like, well, why are you having a conversation with, with a person who all they do is push policy if you don't want if you don't want them to push policy? And with the Seattle one, I thought that 
you had already done the um interruption at Netroots and he was responding, it didn't it didn't accom- it wasn't accomplishing anything. However, what I will say, and this could be because I'm reading so much from Martin Luther King, one of the things that King says when talking about the black power movement, and if you should read this book from Dr. King, where do we go from here? Because the the, the parallels that he draws between the um the nonviolent civil um civil rights movement and the black power movement is very similar to like the kind of things conversations we're having about the Black Lives Matter movement now, minus the fact that black power was a little bit more and we'll say pro non pro pro not so nonviolent responses. But one of the things that he said that even though I don't necessarily agree with all of their tactics, what needs to happen and what should be happening is that we should be pushing the needle and forcing the conversation from all different directions and all different styles. No particular way is wrong as long as that particular way is not promoting violent action. So I don't necessarily agree with everything that they've done, but I, I, what I try to understand is that they're still pushing they're pushing the conversation because once they did that to Bernie Sanders, he he rolled out that civil rights plan the very next day. And then he started parading around Simone Sanders, who was his black communications director. And what that gives people like me and you and Jackie and others a space to do is to now start to have conversations where we can move things on the policy side because they know that, you know, they might not get much lip they might not get many people listening from the Black Lives Matter chapters, but they might get somebody from Nightperg or Citizen Action. Or they might get Alyssa to volunteer to do some legal work or get her law from law from to have a conversation with somebody. So I'm saying all that to say this that we're in a moment right now where we can have significant change on the way that people are perceiving black lives and the way that justice is decided for people of color, African American, Latino American, and all people of the African diaspora. And I think the ultimate ultimate goal is for all of us to be free but we need to understand that as we speak people of color particularly black people african-american people are not free so we have to work as a unit we have to use every single lever non-violent lever that we can so that we can make the change that will get our black brothers and sisters free and then once they are all free then we can all actually be free or fight for our freedom you can't have success in one space while somebody else is drowning that's that's a half victory and even that half victory is not a real victory at all so guys with that being said we're going on a quick break when we come back it'll be the news roundup and bill brighton's goodbye <laughs> 